being able to remain confident, remain resilient and determined in the face of adversity is where people fail. Anyone that I've seen that wanted to transition into something new that wasn't able to, it wasn't because a job turned them down or they didn't get the offer. It's because they quit and they didn't want to do it anymore. So I think my first piece of advice is just always believe Keep the why strong. I think as long as the why is strong, actually, funny enough, I just tweeted this. If your why is strong, you'll be flexible with the how. And I think the how changes over time. Like you may take on an opportunity you didn't anticipate, or you get a job that wasn't a part of the roadmap. But all of these experiences are stepping stones to something greater. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for joining me for episode 54 of the Impact Makers Podcast. One of the best things about the work that I do is that I have the opportunity to connect with so many talented people who are doing great things to make the world of work and the world better for us all in the future. Early last year, I wanted to expand my network of leaders within the diversity and inclusion space. So I reached out to my network and I asked a simple question. Who should I know that does great work in this area? What followed were over 90 recommendations, and I was able to make some great new connections, have some great conversations, and add to my list of potential referral partners for the future. The first person who responded to my question was Daniel Chait, the CEO and co-founder of Greenhouse, which is an HR tech company that helps organizations become great at hiring. Daniel was quick to recommend that I connect with one of his mentees, Ariel Lopez. Ariel followed up with me shortly thereafter, and she suggested that we connect briefly to get to know each other better. I enjoyed chatting with her so much that I made introductions for her to a couple of leaders in my network as well, not because she or they had any specific need at the time, but because I could see that Ariel is someone who is making things happen, and I felt that they needed to know more about her and her work as well. Which brings us to where we are today, and I'm introducing Ariel to many of you. Pro tip, that's how effective networking, relationship building, and follow-up works. And you'll hear more about how Ariel values that process in our conversation today. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Ariel Lopez, a career coach, entrepreneur, and public speaker with an expertise in digital media and technology. Ariel is the founder and CEO of NAC, and that's spelled K-N-A-C, and that's a platform that provides recruiters with a more efficient tool for screening applicants, managing their pipeline, and ensuring that they don't miss out on great talent. With over a decade of recruiting experience, Ariel has had the privilege of helping some of the biggest brands in the world to build great teams. And as a career coach, she's worked with thousands of marketing, advertising, and tech professionals to help them grow in their careers and to find lucrative opportunities. Passionate about the future of work and making the job search more humane, Ariel's ultimate goal is to help people find career happiness and to live their best lives. I hope you enjoy and get some great takeaways from our conversation today. Well, welcome, Ariel Lopez, to the Impact Makers podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today and to share a little bit of your story with the Impact Makers community. So let's start right out. Tell us about who Ariel Lopez is and what you're doing these days. Oh, thanks so much, Jennifer. I'm really excited to be here. So my name is Ariel Lopez. I am a entrepreneur, a career coach, former recruiter, and I am passionate about all things that pertain to the future of work. Currently, I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Knack, 
we make it easier for other companies to sort, screen, and manage applicants through their pipeline so people don't get ghosted. If you are currently looking for a job or you have recently and you applied and you never heard back or you applied and you got a canned rejection email and you were confused as to what that meant, (laughs) ultimately, we make it easier for that not to happen. With NAC, 100% of resumes get screened for recruiters. And we also make it easier for them to send correspondence that's actionable. So you have a better idea of what you need to do to qualify for a role in the future. And we can talk more about that. I mentioned that I'm also a career coach and former. So I spent the last decade of my life working alongside startups and major brands. I would say in my heyday, everyone from Amazon to PayPal, helping them build and scale teams. And then most recently, I worked at General Assembly, which is a very large boot camp, helping the people that took GA programs ultimately find jobs in the tech industry and beyond. So I know a lot of things about hiring and and recruiting in the space. I mentioned earlier that I am very passionate about the future of work. I'm also very passionate about closing the skills gap that currently exists in this country, helping people prepare for high growth jobs in the digital economy, and also making the job search more humane. And I think that has a lot to do with NAC the product. Yeah. Take me back to, you know, maybe when you were starting your career, what were your hopes and dreams then? And how did you kind of end up on the path that you're on? Oh, yeah. So... (laughs) I never planned to be a recruiter. My honest opinion is if you ask the majority of recruiters (laughs) what they plan to be in college or even before then, usually they would give you a different type of career or a different role. I just kind of fell into recruiting. And to be honest, when I was in college, I originally studied political science. And my thought at the time was I was going to go to law school, become a lobbyist at some point, (laughs) work on the Hill and kind of fight for change. Funny enough, I actually interned for Obama's campaign back in 2008. That was my freshman year of college, which actually has a lot to do with my story. So ultimately, I think millennials (laughs) have had the short end of the stick in a lot of scenarios. Most of us started college during the recession and then we graduated into an economy that wasn't booming, getting paid wages that haven't changed in 20 years. They want to blame us for the housing crisis and why we don't buy homes anymore. Right. (laughs) But that's another story for another day. Too much Uh, avocado toast, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, when climate change is happening, maybe avocado toast makes things a little bit better. But (laughs) anywho, I spent, I would say, my first couple of years of college really delving into political science and trying to figure out what a career in law would look like for me. And ultimately, I landed on, I don't think this is what you want to do for the rest of your life. The plan, again, was to go to law school. Funny enough, in college, I had started my own nonprofit organization. And the nonprofit had started to pick up steam. So something told me that I wouldn't need a degree for whatever my career would happen to be. I was right, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, you know, it was it was very risky. I dropped out of college halfway through my junior year. I decided to move to New York on a whim. I felt as though the best place to network and build my career would be the city. And I got my first job in recruiting, happenstance. I remember looking at the job description 
I think at that time, LinkedIn had just came out. We were probably using Monster or something like that. And I was like, oh, this job looks interesting. I know how to talk to people. I think I can do that. And we had one or two really positive phone screens. And they invited me to interview in person. And I remember the address on my resume was actually my aunt. So I wasn't even in New York at the time. And I just told myself, well, if you go and you meet them in person, they'll like you and they'll give you the job. So I packed up all my stuff. I sold my car. (laughs) And I moved to New York dead of winter, the end of 2010. And luckily, I did get that recruiting job. And yeah, it's been a crazy road ever since. So started my career sales recruiting. I also had a short stint working with contractors, placing them on like Fortune 5 projects. That was probably one of the most technical recruiting experiences I ever had. I would never go back to it (laughs) for for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, that's when I started to kind of dig myself into tech a little bit more um, and explore the space. And then the role that I had after that, I landed at a a digital staffing agency. And I was there for a few years. And that's where I learned the ropes. I learned everything about the tech ecosystem, different players in the space and what they hire for, how they hire. I really think back and I think that experience has everything to do with why I ended up becoming a career coach. But ultimately, those experiences lay the groundwork and the framework for the company that I have today. So I think that time, I fell in love with with tech. I fell in love with startups. I fell in love with how fast moving they were and how interesting they were. People's journeys at these companies. I think a big signal for me at the time was helping my peers understand that you actually can work at Facebook or you can work at Twitter or a Snapchat. These aren't just apps on your phone. There are actually real opportunities to work inside of these organizations. So I think most recruiters at some point make a decision on (laughs) if they want to keep actively recruiting or if maybe they want to manage people or move into a different part of HR that's a little less hands-on. And coaching just sounded perfect for me because my favorite part of recruiting was talking to people, understanding where someone was in their journey, what point A looked like for them and what point B looked like and essentially helping them learn how to navigate and kind of build a roadmap for themselves. I wanted to be able to do this with more people and General Assembly gave me the opportunity to do that. My time at GA exposed me to... I mentioned the skills gap earlier. I didn't recognize how bad it is. In fact, only I want to say roughly 60% of the workforce are prepared for nearly 20% of the jobs that are coming within the next 5 to 10 years. GA also exposed me to all the problems that exist within education. And it's interesting because obviously I'm a college dropout. So I think back to my time at college And I think about my friends that graduated and ended up working at Target (laughs) retail, Mm -hmm. not Target corporate, or getting their degree and moving in with their parents and being underemployed. And it just struck a chord with me. And I became very passionate about figuring out how do we fill the skills gap? How do we help people get out of debt? How do we help people 
find jobs that they're passionate about, that they actually care about, preferably something that they actually spent money getting a degree for. And GA just happened to be a major disruptor in education because for the first time they said, you don't have to go get a traditional four-year degree or even a two-year degree or a certification. You can come to a boot camp like GA learn a skill for a handful of months and then ultimately completely change the trajectory of your career. I mean, I saw people that were underemployed and massive amounts of student loan debt, making 40K a year come out of the program and double your salary, sometimes even triple it. So I think that just added a light to the fire for me. I already care deeply about helping people navigate and find jobs in tech. And I think the experience of being a coach helps me care more about how that was being done, right? I realized it wasn't enough to just be the career coach. It definitely wasn't enough just to be the recruiter. I felt as though I had a larger purpose. So I decided to quit General Assembly and go out on my own. And it's been <laughs> a roller coaster ride ever since. Well, I have, have lots of questions, but I think from the career, <laughs> the career coaching perspective, I know I've done some of that myself, you know, not as a job, but when I was an executive search consultant, did a little bit of career coaching and worked with a career coach myself. And I think, you know, I had some kind of takeaways from that process. I'm interested in yours. I think in talking with people for this podcast, one of the themes that is consistent is that what people start out, whether it's their education intentions or what they think they're going to be when they grow up almost always doesn't turn out to be where they end up once they get out there and they've either worked in a few jobs or they've had an opportunity to take a crack at the career that they thought they wanted. They end up discovering skills and abilities and passions in other areas, which ultimately takes them in a different direction. So when you're coaching people, obviously those discussions probably come up quite a bit. You know, somebody says, I was going to school to go to be a lawyer and a lobbyist and that's not doing it for me. How do you help people kind of discover? What do you recommend that people do to help them discover what they ultimately will be very excited about doing so that they can develop the skills that they need in order to be able to do that job? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, oh man, it comes down to a few things. My biggest piece of advice is just believing that you can. It's so funny. I think most coaching, whether it's life coaching, career coaching, you could be a coach for a little league team. Most of your role is surrounded by helping people realize their potential and giving them reassurance that they can actually do what they want to do and helping them to be confident in themselves. And anyone that I've ever coached, it literally comes down to that. I forget the popular saying, but it's like, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. And it's so true. I've seen lawyers become UX designers. I've seen VPs of hedge funds become engineers at tech companies. I've seen consultants become venture capitalists. Like, there's no shortage of career transitions I've seen throughout the course of my career. But I also think it's important to note that every single one of these people started with no experience in the field that they wanted to <laughs> transition into and ultimately had to make a call and have faith in themselves and say, you know what? 
I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Even though I started here, I'm very much so interested in transitioning and see this new thing. How do I set myself up and position myself for success to do that? I think working with a career coach is helpful. But even if you don't have access to a career coach, or let's say you don't have the budget to afford one, you can still learn to figure it out and do it on your own. That being said, you're going to hear a lot of no's. You're going to face rejection. It's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be frustrated. And you're going to want to quit at some point. And everyone faces those same types of challenges. And I mentioned like the VP of the hedge fund versus the person that used to be a lawyer those same people made the exact same challenges as someone that was a college dropout or maybe has only two years of experience doing something, right? So I think take your ego out of it. That's very helpful in knowing that it's not about you. Anything that happened in your journey that doesn't work out ultimately wasn't meant for you. And it's much easier once you get in a better position <laughs> for you to look back and say, oh... I realize why that didn't happen now. But I think being able to remain confident, remain resilient and determined in the face of adversity is where people fail. Anyone that I've seen that wanted to transition into something new that wasn't able to, it wasn't because a job turned them down or they didn't get the offer. It's because they quit and they didn't want to do it anymore. So... I think my first piece of advice is just always believe, keep the why strong. I think as long as the why is strong, actually, funny enough, I just tweeted this. If your why is strong, you'll be flexible with the how. And I think the how changes over time. Like you may take on an opportunity you didn't anticipate, or you get a job that wasn't a part of the roadmap. But all of these experiences are stepping stones to something greater. So for me, I, I always start at the core. I think I can tell you what to do with your resume or your LinkedIn profile <laughs> or how to like persuade a recruiter on a phone screen. But none of those things mean anything if you don't have the resilience and the confidence to see things through. So that being said, as far as some tangible things that you can do, I think figuring out what your leverageable skills are, it's probably one of the things that most professionals don't know how to do well. And ultimately, that means you have to review your experience and your background and figure out what skills are transferable into the new job that you want. And the funny thing is you probably have more transferable skills than you think. I'll use a random example. I mentioned me thinking back to people that got their degree and ended up working at Target in retail, right? Most people are unaware, but retail actually prepares you careers and sales, especially <laughs> for thinking about tech because there's so many types of sales roles. Customer success is literally what you're doing in the retail store, but online, right? So you could be working at a Target <laughs> or a Best Buy. And obviously, that's not the job that you want forever. But you may be completely unaware that you could be working as a customer support manager at a tech company, like an Amazon, right? Like Amazon will have tons of customer support folks. Why? Because Amazon is e-commerce, which is essentially online retail, right? Like you have to be able to kind of 
find the the dots and, and put them together. So that's just one random example. But if you can go from being a customer service associate in a retail store to actually <laughs> doing customer support at a tech company, I think that's a huge win for you. Ultimately, I would encourage people to figure out what those transferable skills are for them. So what are you doing in your role today or what have you done before that can ultimately be relevant into the new position? The easiest way to find this out is by A, speaking with people. So I'm a big fan of informational interviews. Informational interviews essentially are setting up time to speak with people that are in the job that you want. So if I am that retail associate and I want to do customer success, I would probably do a search for customer success managers on LinkedIn. I would connect with as many as possible and I would reach out to them, let them know like, Hey, I just found out about this role or I'm really interested in this industry or I'm really interested in your company. And I was curious to learn more about your journey there or what your world looks like, like your day to day. Like if you figure out what to say in the email and you send those out, what I will say is you're going to get some blank responses. <laughs> you're going to hear some no's. I don't have time to talk to you, but you'd be surprised. Like you do get those yeses and those yeses open doors, right? Like these are now people that can help paint a better picture of the world that you're curious about. These are also people that can turn into referrals. So. Maybe I use the Amazon example. Maybe this person does work at Amazon. Maybe you have an informational interview with them. You guys keep in touch. And then six months later, a job opens up on your team. They reach out to you. And they say, Hey, I remember you saying that you were interested in this. Do you still want to do this? Right? Like You would have never gotten access to that opportunity before because you weren't connected to that person. So I'm always a fan of building your network. That being said, in the world of COVID, (laughs) (laughs) where you can't meet people for coffee or like find them at a happy hour necessarily. I still think use that LinkedIn example. But in addition to sending the emails out, just study people's profiles. Having an opportunity to look at the jobs that they have for, looking at where they went to school, if they ended up going to a boot camp, which one did they go to, if they have any certifications or additional skills. I think having an opportunity to really study their trajectory helps to give you an idea of what yours should look like. And I think that is just really, really useful for folks. So yeah, I think it starts with confidence in yourself and resiliency and deciding to be determined to make the transition. I think once you get that down, you start building your network and you talk to people that are actually in the role that you are looking to transition into. And then you spend most of your time doing research, studying people's journeys and their trajectories. And ultimately, that will help you create a blueprint for yourself. Mm-hmm. You mentioned sharing a quote on Twitter, a thought on Twitter today, and I I love you're pretty prolific there in terms of not just random tweets, but some really good concrete advice and thoughts. Is that a strategy for you or do you just go throughout your day and you say, oh, that sounds good enough to share on Twitter? (laughs) (laughs) Well, how are you approaching that? Because you really are sharing, I think, solid career tips and advice and life advice through your Twitter feed from time to time. Yeah, thank you. You know, so part of it is strategy and then part of it is just off the cuff. It's hilarious. I find that the tweets that go viral and and do really well are the ones that I don't plan. (laughs) They don't go in Buffer. They don't go in a Google Doc somewhere. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to tweet that at 
some point. Like one of the most recent was because I had a conversation with someone that I hadn't talked to in a really long time. And they had congratulated me on some recent funding. And I think like anyone that is in the startup space, especially if you're a founder, you know what the grind looks like. Like it, it's never ending. <laughs> doesn't matter how much money you raise. It doesn't matter your exit strategy or when you even exit, right? Like there's always something to deal with because that's just kind of startup life. So immediately after they congratulated me, I was just like, well, you know, we're on to the next thing, right? Like there's really no time to kind of revel in and celebrate the recent win. And they responded to me and they were like, I'm going to give you your flowers. You can wear them or not. And <laughs> I love <that. laughs> it just like, I know. And it just stuck with me because I'm one of those people. I always have a response to something. <laughs> I'm very opinionated, right? And I didn't have an immediate response. I think my response to them was, you know what? You're right. Thank you. I'm not even going to argue with you on that. Right. And they kind of sat with me for like a day. And that following day, I was around some friends and I think someone else had been congratulated or something along the lines came up and it brought the conversation up in my mind. And I was like, let me tweet this out because I feel like someone else needs to hear this. And then sure enough, <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how many times that tweet has been reshared at this point. There are so many people that commented in like, oh my God, I need to hear this and thank you so much. And, you know, going back to like the coaching, most of coaching is just giving people validation. I'm a big believer in that. People just want to hear that they can do it. People want to hear that they deserve it. People want to hear that they should be proud of themselves. And I think we're all so harder on ourselves all of the time, right? Like, A, we're under real deadlines. And then we have these self-imposed deadlines that we create for ourselves, where we need to be or how much money needs to be in the bank account or what we should have accomplished by Q4 of this year, right? And you're on that treadmill, the hamster wheel, actually, because the treadmill you can turn off. <laughs> the hamster wheel is ongoing, right? You're always kind of on to the next thing. And anytime I have an opportunity to kind of remind someone like, hey, you're doing well. You're closer than where you started. You've come a long way. Revel in the joy. Find that happiness. That's fulfilling for me, right? Like that truly is invaluable. Like you cannot put an amount on helping people feel better about themselves and just find or dream a bigger dream for themselves. That's what makes me happy. So I know the question was around strategy. So the answer is sometimes I do. I have like my drafts are full of tweets. Some of them are really random. Some of them are around like concrete recruiting or or coaching advice. I will say, I think it's important to figure out who you are as a thought leader and your values. And I kind of look at them as pillars. So my pillars are anything that's related to the future of work, anything that's careers related at large. I mean, we could be talking resumes or we could be talking negotiating salary. It doesn't matter. It runs the gamut. All of those things I care about in some way or another. Diversity is one of my pillars. I care deeply about it, not only because I am diverse, but I'm an advocate for those that are underrepresented and underserved. I care about all things women, women in the workplace, especially. I mentioned negotiating the salary, helping women make more money and advocate for themselves, helping women 
attain management and leadership positions. These are things that I care deeply about. So I find as though my content is usually skewed <laughs> to one of those pillars, right? And you can kind of go through my tweets and see this is something that's related to careers. This is something that's related to diversity. This is something that's related to helping women achieve more in the workplace. So I think my advice is to anyone out there that's trying to become more strategic or really think about what their voice is, is think about what your pillars are. What are your values? What are the things that you stand for? What are the things that you're passionate about? What are the things that you care about and you can speak to? I will say I am biased towards people that have domain expertise, i.e. people that speak to things that they've actually done. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Like I see people that give coaching advice. And I'm like, you never recruited before or you've never coached anyone before. Like, why are you telling people what to do with your resumes? It's so invalid, right? That being said, I think if you have an opinion about something, you should share it regardless, even if you don't have experience. But especially if you do have experience, right? If you've been doing something in your career for a really long time, even if you don't think people want to hear about it, you'd be surprised. And I think that's the beauty with social media. All of us are able to find folks that help us to get closer to our goals in one way or another. Like I love interior design. Absolutely love it. Like I could watch HDTV all day, every day. So I have people that I follow that just do real estate and all they do <laughs> is show home, right? Like not my world, but I appreciate their world. So I think just figure out what your world is and how it may be interesting to other people. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned when you were at Journal Assembly doing the career coaching and then you kind of jumped right to it and I founded a company, you know, <laughs> what, <laughs> what was the problem or the opportunity that you recognized that you said, I need to start something. I need to take the leap and jump out on my own. Yeah, well, it, it definitely changed over time. Originally, when I left GA, there were two things that stood out for me. First and foremost, I found that people that were going through the program were finding jobs, but they were still having a pretty hard time finding jobs. And GA was full of career transitioners. So the person that works in finance that wants to work in tech, the person that came from construction that wants to work in tech or retail or wherever, right? So I saw all these people from different walks of life ultimately trying to break into Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> so I think coming out of GA, I was just on a quest to figure out how do we do this better, right? Like something is falling by the wayside here because we have people that have leverageable skills. We have people that have a decent background, decent experience, and they have this newly added skill that they just attained and through General Assembly. Why is it still so hard for them to find this job and this outcome that they're pursuing? So I think I just kind of had a, a battery in my back. <laughs> I'm like, I think I could maybe find a way to do this better. I think the other piece of it was I was hyper-focused on diversity at that point. So I just wanted to figure out how do we help more women and people of color get into tech. And so when I left GA, for about a year and a half, I did a ton of random programming. So we had our own courses. They were nothing like GA, but we had part-time classes that we did in partnership with tech companies. Ultimately, we would train people on tech skills, but we would train them on the skills as they were needed within the tech companies. 
which is a huge difference I wasn't really seeing at GA or, you know, some of the other boot camps. Like they do a great job teaching the skill, but the curriculum isn't necessarily tied to industry standards or certainly not tied to company specific standards, right? Because a UX designer at Seamless looks completely different than a UX designer at Netflix. Because there's two completely different companies, different end users, different products. And unless you happen to be a UX designer already, you won't understand that nuance. So I thought about all the people trying to break in. Like, how are they possibly going to know what Seamless cares about as a UX designer unless Seamless actually says, this is what we care about (laughs) as a UX designer? So we started working with tech companies to run these classes, run these programs, host these hiring events all in an effort to help women and people of color specifically break through the door and get access. So during that time period, I'm happy to say from our programming, I want to say over 80% of the people that either attended a class or went to an event found a job. Like There's so many people that are working in tech right now from things that we did years ago. And that's amazing to me. I often forget about it (laughs) because it's been a while. But you know, I hear some people on LinkedIn where I look at their LinkedIn profiles and I'm like, oh man, you're here now. It's crazy. Like I remember when you weren't even in the space yet. So that's a beautiful thing to see. That being said, fast track. We did a lot of random offline stuff for close to two years. This takes us through the end of 2017. I realized I don't want to run a business like this. It's not necessarily scalable and I'm only one person. We need to build out software. So we spent all of 2018 building out the product, which is NAC. Ultimately, the beta version of NAC launched last year. In the beta, I think the biggest difference between the beta and where we are today is the beta, we were still thinking the recruiter was going to do the work in terms of reviewing applicants and giving them feedback. Because we care deeply, again, like I mentioned, how are you supposed to know what UX design looks like at Seamless unless Seamless tells you this is what UX design looks like? We marry that into the product, right? Like we're big believers. The company should be telling you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong. But the only way that we can give you access to that information is through data. So our beta was a a marketplace where we had companies on one side and job seekers on the other. Our assumption was companies were going to review their profiles, their assessment for different roles, give them feedback and kind of hire through us. And I think we recognized quickly that's still going to be a heavy lift and we're not going to get to where we want to go as fast doing this. So last year, fall last year, (laughs) we knew we were going to pivot. And we didn't want to be a marketplace. We were going to become a B2B tool. It needed to be data-driven. It needed to be automated. It needed to save recruiters time. But it also needed to be data-driven because that was going to be our way of helping the job seekers. Right? If we can learn what Twitter hires for and how they hire through machine learning, we are now able to give those insights back to you. So instead of getting the canned rejection email or getting ghosted, you receive something that says, hey, this is where you're going wrong. Or actually apply for this job instead because you're better suited for it. So many pivots. But if you look at where we are today, it's still very much related to where it started. And even the GA days, right? Because our product is designed for the person that is going through a job search that is confused, that is a career transitioner, 
And we want to make sure that they get feedback. We want to make sure that they gain visibility in the recruiter's pipeline, right? Like we recognize that those folks are still getting overlooked, even though that they were great. And we wanted to find an easier way for companies to to see them and not overlook them, but also make sure that they were getting the feedback that they needed to gain clarity. And that was the only thing I can hope for for someone. Clarity and peace of mind. Those two things, you can't put a price on it. Very, very hard to come by, especially when you're in the middle of a job search, right? So if you're just getting canned rejection email on top of canned rejection email or no response at all, you hit a wall, right? You hit a point to where you're like, I don't know what to do now (laughs) (laughs) because no one is telling me what I should be doing. And we want to help people get clarity and gain transparency for the first time on how they should be preparing for these roles, how they should become qualified, making sure that they don't go spend $20,000 learning how to code when that's not necessarily what they need for the job that they want, right? Making sure they don't go back to grad school or get an MBA for a job that they want that doesn't require that. I spend a lot of my time having one-off conversations with people, you know, letting them know, actually, no, don't do that. Or no, you don't need to do that because you want to do this, right? And we want to be able to do that at scale for millions of people. And that gives us the ability to do that. So all in all, I mean, crazy journey, lots of pivots. I mean, there's just been so many changes along the way, frankly, but ultimately... Each and every one of them was a stepping stone to get to where we are today. I'm always fascinated to hear kind of these founder stories, but I'm really curious. You know, you had not been a tech company founder before or even founded a company other than the nonprofit that you had started when you were in college. How do you even start that? You say, okay, I see a problem. I think it needs to be solved. I want to be part of the solution. Where do you go from there? Is it about building relationships? How did you start? Yeah, I mean, relationships is everything, especially in tech. It is the underbelly (laughs) of how companies get founded, how people get funded, how people find jobs. That just is a relationship-driven industry. That being said, during my time at General Assembly, even though I love GA and I will always sing their praises because I think they're fabulous, I kind of knew that I wanted to leave, say, six months before I quit. And I think what I tell people is there's no perfect time to leave just go. Like You're going to have to figure it out once you leave anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That being said, if I could go back, I probably would have saved a little bit more. I probably would have taken all of my PTO. One thing that GA offered was free classes. And I never took any. It's probably one of my biggest regrets. Like I could have learned design myself or web development or product management through General Assembly as an employee. And I just didn't take advantage of it. So my big piece of advice to anyone that's thinking about taking the leap is fully take advantage of everything that the company has to offer to you (laughs) before you do that. All of your benefits as well. But ultimately, I think in that time of knowing that I would want to quit, and actually resigning, I started to try to get validation around what I wanted to build. And at the time, before there was a product, we did the hiring events and and that random programming. So it was me talking to tech companies, me talking to recruiters, seeing if they would be interested in sponsoring something that I hosted. We started off with an event called Office Hack, which was a tech crawl. I don't know if we could ever do this in a post-COVID world, but it was awesome. We bring out 100 job seekers. 
And we would break them up into different groups and we would give them the opportunity to hop from company to company to see their offices. So you would start your day at Google and see their HQ. And then you would see the inside of Spotify and see the inside of Uber and all of these really cool companies. And that's how it started. And I remember the first sponsorship was maybe $500. Like it wasn't anything at all. But I think we got close to 10 companies to say, yes, we'll do this. And funny enough, General Assembly was one of the first sponsors, (laughs) even though I worked there. So something just went off in my head. I was like, hmm, companies will pay for this. And if I can like hustle this up enough time, you know, like maybe we we have something here. Maybe we can figure this out. That being said, and there's definitely not enough time to go into the full story, but I had done a panel event with a woman that knew someone who would become one of our first investors. It was a really odd kind of investor relationship because it wasn't a traditional situation as far as terms when we think of venture capital, right? Like this person puts money in and they take equity out. It was more of a partnership than anything. But I ended up meeting this person shortly before I quit. And they basically offered me a deal to where they would cover some of the startup costs and some of like the back office stuff that I wouldn't have to worry about partnering together. Because at that point, I was very much so thinking of, we were still going to have that marketplace model. Companies on one side, job seekers and professionals on the other. And that original investor came from staffing. So he saw that as an opportunity. And I think that's why he said, okay, this is something I can get behind. But ultimately, the validation from doing like that small sales with that first event and then him offering to put some money in that gave me what I needed to say, you know what, it's time for me to go. That being said, (laughs) once you actually leave, no one teaches you how to be a CEO. No one teaches you how to run a company, what day-to-day operations should look like, how you should go about sales. At that time, there was zero product. But now that we actually have a product, right? Like that looks different because that's to manage developers. I have to think about product roadmap and, and what that looks like. But at that time, we were just kind of doing random transactional deals with all of these different tech companies. And I would close one deal and I would just kind of move on to the next. So I think operationally, it was a mess. <laughs> this is also why you build software. So you, you get out of the weeds. You're not all over the place. But I thank God for that time. Right. Because if I didn't have that time to build those relationships, like some of those relationships are now becoming fruitful. And these are seeds that were sown years ago. Biggest example of that is Google. One of the first hiring events, I mentioned that office hack tech crawl. Google was one of the first sponsors of that event. And they just funded us a few weeks ago. They created a founders fund and we were one of the companies that received funding. So they went from being a partner or a sponsor of this random hiring event three years ago to now becoming an investor in our company. That's huge, right? And it's all because I built that relationship. Google would have no idea who I am or (laughs) what we're building if I didn't take time to hustle. All those random tech companies, the Spotify's, the Ubers of the world, the Snapchat, working with all of them led me to working with new companies. We had an opportunity to work with Nike. The only reason Nike became a customer or a partner is because I got intro to Nike by someone that used to work at Snapchat. And the person that worked at Snapchat 
got the deal done, right? Like being able to maintain those relationships, even if they aren't directly fruitful in the short term. Because that's something I will say, like you're going to have great conversations and people are going to say no. You're going to have great conversations and people are going to say, this sounds cool, but I can't do anything right now. And you can't take that personally. You have to accept it as this is a no for right now, but that doesn't mean a no forever. And I think having that approach to some of the people that are in our network has been life-changing, right? It's the only reason why we can (laughs) have an opportunity to sell into these types of companies is because we took time to build relationships with these people, even though some of them weren't initially fruitful in the beginning. So I think network your ass off is always my (laughs) piece of advice and trust the process. Yeah. So where do you think you are on the kind of through line of Knack and founding the company? Are you halfway through the journey to whatever ultimate success is or exiting or where do you see yourself kind of on that journey? Yeah, that's a great question. In terms of where we are on the journey, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm becoming more comfortable being in the unknown. And that feels good for me. I think finding comfortable in uncomfortable spaces or comfortability in uncomfortable spaces, being able to be peaceful and be confident even when things are mostly uncertain and ambiguous, I think is is a trait that most founders need in order to live this life. Because you really don't know what the next day is going to look like. It could be awesome. It could be awful. But ultimately, I think settling on a problem that's big enough that you want to solve, a problem that you deeply care and are passionate about, surrounding yourself with the right people, the right team to help you see that vision through, that's what this is. And you don't know what happens on the other side. You could get acquired. You could IPO. The company could totally bomb and fail (laughs) in two years, right? Like I can't necessarily call it. That being said, my preferred timeline and... I think we're in the early stages with NAC. I think there's so much that we want to do with this product and, and so many lives that we want to change. And I think that can happen in a variety of different ways. If I were looking out to our roadmap, I think we're certainly around for the next 7 to 10 years. Where we exit, i.e. a company like a LinkedIn, even though they're owned by Microsoft now, does a company mm-hmm. like a LinkedIn buy us one day? Or do you see me like standing at the NASDAQ ringing the bell? I don't know. But my hope is that I'm around for as long as I'm supposed to be. Well, I look forward to continuing to follow your journey and be inspired by what you're accomplishing. Where can people connect with you or learn more about you? Follow what next journey is going to be your journey? Oh, yeah. So where to start? So let's start with me. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about me, certainly follow me on Twitter. It's just at Ariel Lopez. If you're interested in coaching, if you're interested in signing up for my newsletter, it's a bi-weekly newsletter that includes Q&As that I source from people in my network that are asking for career advice and kind of my random thoughts on tech and all things in between. You can sign up on my website and that's just Ariel, D as in Delta, Lopez.com. And then for Nat on Twitter, it's at HelloNat. On LinkedIn, it's also at HelloNat. Please connect with me on LinkedIn as well, especially if you're actively looking for a role. 
I'm connected to mostly recruiters. So if I know someone, I'm happy to make an intro for you. And then for NAC itself, the website is NAC.io. So it's K-N-A-C.io. And yeah, I encourage that you keep in touch with us. Yeah, well, we'll be sure to list all of those links in the show notes because I think people would enjoy, as I said, learning from you and following your journey at the same time. And I have enjoyed learning more about you in this conversation. So I appreciate your time today, Ariel, and thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks so much, Jennifer. This was great. I appreciate you having me on show. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 